everybody, this is Ann Doherty with Current, the energy podcast by Alum Advising. Today, you're going to hear from my colleagues, Jess and Nabila, who are talking about their experience as engineers and some of the work that they're doing within Alum and work that they've done outside of Alum. You'll hear about Nabila and the way that she came to Alum through a background in chemical engineering. You'll also have the opportunity to get to know Jess a little bit more and her expertise in engineering. I look forward to your thoughts on this one. It's always fun to listen to our team talk to each other, and I hope you learn a lot. Well, hello, I'm Jess Rivas. I'm an executive vice president here at Alum. I'm also an engineer, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Nabila Huck, who's a fellow engineer. Nabila has a background in renewable fuel design, biomedical materials, and solar research. Nabila, it's wonderful to have you here with me today, and I'm excited for our listeners to learn more about you and your fascinating experience. To start off, can you share a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. My name's Nabila, and I've been a senior consultant at Alum for almost two years, and that started shortly after my family. So my husband, Dog, and I moved back to Arizona during 2020, uh, after almost a decade in Colorado. And then our daughter joined us about a year after I started working at Alum, and she just turned nine months old. So it's been a very, it's been a wild ride. Um, <laughs> but before Alum, I did my bachelor's and doctorate in chemical engineering and followed that up uh, working as a renewable energy researcher. Wow. What <laughs> got you interested in chemical engineering? Okay. So I wish I had a more inspiring story. <laughs> So I'm excited to hear about your engineering journey eventually that'll make up for mine. But like at 18, right out of high school, when I was planning to go to college, hoping to go to college, my priorities were like securing something as high earning and stable as I could get given my skill set and was just like a little bit, like at least a little enjoyable. So it's not wow. a good story, but um, <laughs> I don't know. That's what you're told to do a lot. Like growing up to like, make sure, you know, make sure. It's sure. Scary, but. So, and, you know, I also wanted to save the world as you do. And I was told by like my high school guidance counselor, whose name I can't remember now that, you know, given my strength in math and a couple other things like engineering would be an efficient path to, you know, save the world. So I took an engineering class at the nearby university in my senior year of high school. And I really liked that it was a practical application of like pure science that allowed of creativity and problem solving but where there, at least in the coursework, there could, there was a correct answer, right? <laughs> I mean, at least in the, in the coursework, even though like, as you have probably also found out, not as much in like real life engineering, there are many, many answers. So about chemical engineering in particular, everyone kind of said it was like a, you can do anything with this sort of deal. I don't know if every major does that just to some extent, but you can find chemical engineers and engineers in general in like, most industries, even where you don't expect it. And I think this was, for me, super compelling at the time and also overwhelming for someone that like likes a clear, clear path forward. And I was also pretty good at chemistry. So I ended up at the University of Arizona as a chemical engineering major. And our like intro classes were especially focused on how our degrees could be like societally and environmentally beneficial in the expected areas like wastewater treatment, air quality, so solar research. But also they made clear that even if we ended up researching or working in like food production or, you know, brewing beer or drug delivery systems, that there was always an emphasis 
on the fact that we should be thinking through like, how can we minimize the impact of this process? Well, like environmental impact of this process while also maintaining, you know, quality and fidelity and all of that stuff. So that was like, that was really valuable. I think it was a, it was a really good program and it influenced me to, to like go down that more sustainability route. Renewable energy seemed like the most exciting space to me of all my options. Yeah. I think it, at some level, I recognized it as like a critical societal juncture where like the long view is necessary, which is very exciting to see, you know, you don't necessarily want to be siloed into like your tiny corner, even though that's a lot of what research is sometimes. And so it spurred me to try research. So I started on inorganic photovoltaics in Anthony Muscat's lab, which made me fall hard for like engineering research. But anyway, fast forward, this resulted in my being asked to work on organic photovoltaic research. So like the stuff that creates solar panels, I try not to use jargon, but then I do. It's impossible. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, this resulted in my being asked to work on organic photovoltaic research during my PhD um, at Colorado State with Travis Bailey, but like a funding plot to twist eventually led to my dissertation and patents being focused on R&D of a material, like a light responsive material used for tissue replacement. So it was more of a biomedical application. I won't go into that whole story, but if you go the look classic, at what I did. Yeah, classic funding <laughs> plot twist gets yeah, you yeah. every time. Yeah, I don't want to come off as a lie. If you just like <laughs> Google what I did for my PhD, it was not renewable energy. <laughs> anyway, it was truly awesome. And I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to do that. And it was like, I find it funny because I was like shuttled along by my desire for stability and yet somehow ended up in technical research, like, which is not stable, but very exciting. <laughs> anyway, sorry for the monologue. What about you? How did you end up as an engineer and what led you to? Kind of where you are now. Well, I loved the monologue. I thought oh, it was great. <laughs> I um, it's so it re- so much of that resonates with me, and I am having a funny. Maybe it's um an engineer, you know, shared mindset that we so much of what you said really um spoke to me in my my experience. I I'll be honest. I don't think I really knew what engineering was until I was in an undergrad. I think that it was a total blind spot to me as a as a thing to be, a thing to study. I also was motivated by the sense of believing that there was some role I could play in helping mm-hmm. avoid climate change. You know, I was definitely the kid in grade school who had, you know, like <laughs> save the tiger t-shirts or like I had oh, green, that's awesome. green peace posters. I think for like one birthday, I asked for money to like adopt a whale, you know, that kind of, that was my journey. Um, oh my gosh. What a yeah. good kid. <laughs> oh, thanks. I would have said nerdy kid, but I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that. Um, and I think I was interested in technology or I was interested to be clear in how things worked. And so I made it to undergrad and ended up studying physics because to me, that was how things worked. But then it was once I was there that I was, I really realized I should study engineering. And I, like you, I wanted to study renewable engineering, or that's what I thought, or something Mm -hmm. in and around renewable energy. But at that time, there were no programs, no discernible way to do that as a graduate um, study. I, I assume we went to graduate school in slightly different years. And, you know, I'm glad to know that hopefully that's no longer the case. But at the time, the one program that even mentioned renewable or solar was at CU mm-hmm. Boulder. And so I went there um, and to the building systems program and just thought for sure that's what I was going to do. But like many um, of the best parts of your 
you know, school experience, I had my mind blown. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think I was exposed to a lot of really cool, you know, um, thought leaders had, who had been in the clean energy space for a long time, like Amory Lovins, and I really learned and have held on to the adage ever since that you can't have your renewable energy desserts until you have your energy efficiency vegetables. Oh my gosh, so, that's awesome. I've yeah, never so, heard that before. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, never forget it. Um, I will uh, never forget it. So I switched and I did, I worked with John Zai, Larson Lab, and, and I studied um, building system engineering. And I did my work on, at the time, a very cool technology, which was a multi-system um, commercial heat pump. And would I ever have guessed, fast forward, however many okay. decades that I would continue to be thinking about caring about heat pumps so much. I never in a million years would have expected. There's so foreshadowing. That's amazing. Fore There's <laughs> Has so, it been heat pumps ever since? Or no, thank goodness. <laughs> no, but um, but but for you, speaking about school, I wanted to ask. So you then did uh your postdoctoral work at the National Renewable Energy Lab, also in Colorado. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It was Golden. Um yeah, it was in Golden. I actually lived in Boulder while working at NRL. So connection connection there so it's like a 40 minute bus ride over to golden but yeah i'll try not to get into the weeds unless you want me to but kind of my my work designing renewable fuels at nrel spanned like gasoline diesel and aviation fuels so it was it was different projects it was different contexts but kind of that's the the broad overview the research spanned like multiple scales ranging from like the molecular level um, surrounding combustion kinetics. And that was with the PIs, uh, Tom Faust uh, at NREL and then Nicole Labby at CU Boulder in the mechanical engineering department. Um, and then all the way to like leader scale actual fuel production. So not just molecule, you know, combustion kinetic scale, but like uh, leader scale fuel production, which was where we did renewable diesel and aviation fuel design. And that was production under the direction of my PI Derek Varden. So those were the projects I primarily led. There were a few others in there, but NREL was really great. And I think like national labs in general can be because of the kind of breadth of knowledge and expertise that, that like one place holds. For instance, like my pretty purely technical research became so much richer and more usable in partnership with like other other centers at NREL, like we worked with the techno-economic and life cycle analysis teams, and they, they could give us a sense of like anticipated fuel cost and greenhouse gas reduction potential at scale, even though we were making it at the bench scale, just means like at a small production scale, they could be like, okay, if we were to be able to scale this with all those you know, resources that we need to do that and, and equipment, this is the anticipated fuel cost. And this is, you know, what, what could happen, which I thought was so valuable. And it gives so much context and it like the ability to iterate <clears throat> on a technology when you have that additional information, which is awesome, which is foreshadowing to kind of why I ended up working at a loom, because I just think like that holistic view of things is so critical to like moving technology forward in society. But yeah, I, I'll just highlight like one of the projects I was author on that got a lot of attention. Yeah, let's and, hear about it. Yeah. And uh, so I think largely due to how like holistically our team of like 20 plus experts. So this is 20, 20 plus people on a paper is a lot of people, 20 plus experts, experts from all kinds of fields and institutions evaluated um, the process and fuel product for 
aviation um, applications. So this was a field, this was the second project that I mentioned. So this was looking at performance, fuel performance, health and safety, techno-economics, life cycle analysis, all the way from like feedstock to fuel and scalability. And so from this, our product ended up being a, this is a mouthful, but like a carbon negative waste derived infrastructure compatible aviation fuel that met or exceeded FAA and ASTM specifications. So that was, that was a really big deal. Like at the time, um, it was considered carbon negative at the life cycle analysis lens because the waste is being diverted from landfills where it would otherwise produce methane. And instead it's being used as a fuel, which itself displaces use of fossil fuels and also happens to produce like less particulate matter or soot in the atmosphere. So it was like a triple whammy of why in the math it turned out to be carbon negative. And as you and our listeners probably know, there's there's like a pretty huge need and very public push to decarbonize the aviation industry due to its, its carbon footprint. And that's because alternatives like hydrogen fuel cells and batteries aren't yet considered near-term solutions for the air, drop-in renewable fuels end up presenting a way to reduce carbon while taking advantage of the current design of airplanes, um, like as well as the fueling infrastructure. So it's not to say I'm clearly not anti-electrification. It's just, it's harder when things are in the air. Things require a lot more like de-risking when you're working in the air versus on the ground because running out of energy when you're flying is dangerous. Yeah, it feels different. Like the stakes are higher. The stakes are literally higher. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And and the shift of infrastructure is unlikely to happen like as quickly as it happens on the ground with with EVs. So, yeah. Nabila, Uh, first of all, fascinating. This is maybe a dumb question, but is that what I, what we hear about for those of us who maybe were not as close to that type of work as waste power planes? Is that kind of what we're, yeah. Yes. So, cause I, that is a, it's very cool. I just read an article in popular mechanics that there's enough usable wet waste to replace 20% of all aviation fuel, which to the yeah. point you just made also means mm-hmm. that that fuel, um, rather that waste would be ke- kept out of landfill cycles and therefore reduce the amount of yes. methane that it would otherwise produce. So yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And we were we were using wet waste okay. and we were some of the first to, to do this whole process. So yeah, no, it's really, it's crazy. It's exciting. And so since you joined Loom, are you, are you doing anything? This is, um, this is one of those times I'm asking a question I know the answer to, but you know, <laughs> what are, are you doing any work still in that space? And, and what other work are you doing? Yeah, I, I I've been doing some work in this. So I did just want to say like this firsthand evidence before I get to your, to your actual question <laughs> um, is, is like the firsthand experience of seeing the impact of, of this collaborative space, you know, this collaborative project and, and the experience kind of cemented in me the value of holistically approached research, which made me really clearly see what Illum does so well when like fast forwarding in time, I, I ended up getting the opportunity to work here. But Illum, of course, adds like the human side of clean energy introduction, you know, and implementation to communities. So in, in like most cases, I think looking at both sides of the aisle um, are, are important to moving forward, like moving technology forward. So while it's difficult to take into account, like in a technical research paper, when you're trying to garner funding and buy-in, I think renewable energy agnosticism in a way at a societal level is key to progress. So like 
if we're evaluating a region and its inhabitants for the most appropriate clean or cleaner energy solution is really important. Like it's important to, to look at that closely in order to see that whether a program or technology is going to take hold. I hope that made sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge and um, important topic, right? Because it collides with um, the future of the grid working. It collides with what uh, something we care about a lot here at Illum, which is like the equitable considerations of how yes. we build into that, how we construct it. And um, I think let's circle back on that because I know that we wanted to talk about some of those big, bigger trends that we are both eyeing um, as engineers and, and at the intersection of engineering and clean energy. Yes, but, for sure. Between this moment and that future moment, um, I did want to hear just a little bit about what you're doing at, um, at Illum now, what types of project yeah, work. Yeah. And yeah, tell me about that. Okay, so since I've been blathering on about fuels, I'll start there. When I was still at NREL, we collaborated with Alder Fuels to scale the jet fuel production to, to pilot scale and beyond. And fast forwarding a couple of years and feedstocks later, my old boss at NREL became CTO of Alder Fuels, and he approached Illum to support Alder's, um, you know, huge endeavor of jumping from bench scale aviation fuel production to, to you know, eventual flight testing, um, since that requires like a huge degree of coordination between many players. And at the time, that that was needed. So Illum's role was providing support with getting things moving, um, coordinating all of the various collaborators, including like for instance, industry labs or national labs or airlines, university partners, SMEs, um, you know, tolling companies and all of the stakeholders, like any, any effort like this requires a lot of players and coordination, as well as providing some of the technical, technical knowledge given both my familiarity, familiarity with the adjacent work, as well as like expertise of engineers like you and Pace and, and everyone else at Illum who, who has been really, really helpful um, moving this forward. So that kind of complex coordination combined with the technical know-how happens to be what Illum is really well positioned to do, given like our breadth of expertise from project management to behavioral science and to all kinds of engineers. So this was supported mostly by myself and Pace, as well as Jess and Anne were a huge help. You, Jess, and Anne uh, uh, were a huge help in guidance on resource management for Alder. And I had some really valuable conversations with Joe, who's worked a ton in like the bio upgrading space for the past couple of decades. Yeah. And he was a great resource to chat with surrounding like those scientific ideas. So outside of the fuel space, some recent highlights have been supporting work with Centerpoint on building a dashboard of those in their service territory, where we can toggle based on demographics and program participation in geography and other factors, which is really cool. It's a really neat tool. Um, and this will be in an upcoming Illum magazine feature. So hopefully everyone will keep an eye out for that. And then soon we're going to be looking at potential greenhouse gas impacts of an emerging heat pump pilot program, uh, which is really exciting for me since I only collaborated with those who projected these numbers previously. Like I wasn't the one doing those calculations and I actually get to look at this from like an evaluation perspective. So I am very excited about that. And then some of my other, the other work I've contributed to was uh, in a project evaluating and lending some insight on more exploratory emerging technology, um, like some exciting potential entrants to the U.S. combi market. So yeah, so that's a little cool. snapshot. 
It's so great. It's such a, a great snapshot, Nabila, because it really, I think, is a, is really demonstrative of of the full set of work. I think our engineers and um, and the, the our full team supports here at Alum. So the um, you know to our viewers who are missing us wildly gesticulating passionately as we talk about this <laughs> topic um, is that uh, what you might not know, and some of you do know, um, that we we do a lot to support technological assessment. And by that, I mean performance, savings and whatnot, and also the human experience of emerging. And I would say even sometimes like kind of bleeding edge technologies. So the, the product that Nabila um, just mentioned, we're not allowed to talk about. And, and then yet there's others that, you know, we are super, um, you know, commercialized and market ready that we also support. And it's, it's everything you said, Nabila, it's cool. We get it as engineers bring forward, you know, that lens to understanding how these technologies work, where they work best or where ideally they should work best. And we get to have our social scientists and other um, super smart and diverse team, team members help us understand all of the other really important considerations, right? Like how are we interacting with them? What are all the other considerations that would need to be really well understood to make them work, to make them scale? So I think probably understandably or unsurprisingly, it feels like a lot of that lately has been electrification, right? It's like a lot, a lot of heat pumps, um, all different kinds, you know, we're supporting um, even, you know, and then the like peripheral, right, of the controls that we need to make sure make work to make heat pumps yeah. work in the many different configurations and partial partial displacement, dual fuel, all of the potential um, applications of those. Um, but also now neat things with micro air source heat pumps, window units. There's so much. So much. <laughs> but I think the other thing to go circling back to your very cool um, topic about being renewable energy agnostic and just like that future casting of how do we make all of this work at scale and with the grid we have now as we move toward a grid we maybe want I think that we're also I feel like doing a lot of um engineering support in the demand response and grid flexibility that I think is exciting you know we're still supporting pilots um of different DR enabled technologies mm -hmm. and um I just, I have, I don't know, that's always, it feels like sometimes a swing and a miss, but hopefully, you know, as a, as a broader community, we can get some of these DR technologies to work even better and be another part of the, that larger web of solutions are hoping to weave. Yeah. And everything's, everything's a swing and a miss at first. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that that means it's not worth trying for. So. Yeah, what do we say? Fail, fail fast. There's something about engineers <laughs> believing and failing, and as a, as an okay thing to to achieve. Yes, I don't know this. <laughs> I think I, I think learn that more engineering it. sayings. Yeah, well, I did I did blow your mind with my energy efficiency vegetables, but um, it's hard to recover from that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, to that end, though, rather circling back, I think we were hoping to end this chat, or rather, I was hoping to end this chat today with you to hear about what you are thinking of, um, or, or rather maybe what, what you're really interested in or excited by in terms of that intersection of engineering and clean energy. And it could be technology, advancement, anything. Um, what are, what's exciting to you when you think about the future? Yeah. So in the name of energy flexibility and agnosticism, as you just, as you just said, this is probably 
a more boring answer, but I find it very exciting. I think developing tools and databases to facilitate energy flexibility is really awesome and important. So I'm saying databases. Uh, one that I came across is the energy zones mapping tool out of Argonne National Lab, which appears to analyze, and I don't know a ton about it, so don't quiz me, but it appears to analyze uh, like nine different renewable energy sources and allows for like geospatial toggling and modeling and layering of these critical factors for implementing energy resources in the US. So things like solar energy zones and um, like current wind turbine locations, like wind, wind farms and stuff uh, and suitable corridors for implementation of whatever you're interested in, um, even like existing transmission lines and all that all over the US. I just think that is such a cool idea and tool um, and it just gets my mind spinning on like how we might modify or use a tool like that. Like what else our clients and we at Alum might want to be layered into that, perhaps on like the human level, since we have all of the like brilliant behavioral scientists like with us over here, things like demographics, like what renewable energy could we potentially implement, like having that kind of ability to, to toggle and figure things out. I don't know what you think. I, it, that might be super boring compared to like solar powered house paint or like kinetic <laughs> kinetic playgrounds. But do you have any cool ideas or discoveries? Unfortunately, mine was kinetic playgrounds. So <laughs> I think I think we can be done. Um, no, I hear it's funny that you say that. That's so funny that you say that because I did feel put upon that I was gonna have to like if you asked me the question and response, I was gonna have to say something super mind-blowing, you know, like about nanotubes or, or you know, something yes, please that, do. oh, well, I can't, <laughs> <laughs> or kinetic playgrounds. I did just see a thing about bladeless wind turbines, you know, so I could comment on that for sure. And there is an unbelievable amount of inspiring things out there, much like even, you know, Nabila, waste power planes. I mean, would you have thought, I don't know if I would have thought in my life that I could nope. say something so cool, even living through uh, you know, biofuel. And I remember making biogas during a, you know, a, a I anyway, know. remember biogas at French fries, like buses trolling around. Still happens. All okay, that's still so, <laughs> so, but I think the truth is uh, in terms of something I might be most excited about at the intersection of engineering and clean energy. I don't, I mean, I am excited by these um, very razzle dazzle kind of things, but I'm actually excited by concepts that are not new and instead are simply informed and inspired by nature. Specifically, I learned about biomimicry in undergrad and I'm still excited about it all these years later. Um, and I'm hopeful we can continue to, to consider and see these concepts, these nature inspired designs as potential solutions to our current and future problems, right? So in thinking about building design, for example, I was reading the other day about the Eastgate Center in Zimbabwe which was inspired by termite mounds. So this building has these large floor voids and these big grills allowing it to thermoregulate. And what I was reading is that it uses 10% of the energy, the HVAC energy than traditionally designed buildings of a similar size. I think, I think a lot of like solar technologies came from like looking, or at least the concepts behind them, solar power technologies came from looking at like, I think it's called phototropism. So like you know, the leaves on a plant or petals on a flower, like leaning towards certain yeah. areas to collect sunlight. And it's, it's fascinating. <sighs> well, thank yeah. you so much. This was such a delight. Um, I hope we said at least three or four words. People go to Google because they have no idea what we're talking about unless <laughs> you do. And then awesome. Um, 
We love it. And really, thanks, Nabila. We're so glad you're here to Loom with us. And I'm so grateful for this time. It was such a delight. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. Cool. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you had a great time listening to Jess and Nabila. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Please do reach out with any questions or any follow-ups that you might have related to this particular podcast. Our podcast was produced by Loom's production team, Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks again, everyone. Talk to you soon.